Chapter Five of the Yellow Dove by George Gibbs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tony Oliva. The pursuit continues. At eight o'clock, Doris was awakened by a loud knocking on the door leading to her dressing room. She had slept the sleep of utter exhaustion and aroused herself with difficulty, a little bewildered at the unusual sounds then she dimly remembered locking the door and got quickly out of bed put the yellow packet in the drawer of her desk and pushed back the bolt of the door to her surprise her father confronted her and behind him were other members of the family in various stages of their morning toilets thank the lord said david mather with a sigh of relief what on earth is the matter asked the girl glancing from one to the other in alarm her father laughed oh nothing now that you're all right burglars that's all doris's heart stopped beating as in a flash of reviving memory the incidents of the night before came quickly back to her burglars she stammered yes they got in here came up the water spout pointing to the dressing-room window and a fine mess they made of things you'll have to take account of stockchild and see how you stand she glanced around the disordered room very much alarmed the drawers of her cupboards were all pulled out and their contents scattered about on the floor when did did it happen she asked timorously more because she had to say something than because it was what she wanted to know some time before dawn said her father wilson was here until three thinking that you might want her and then went out to her own room on the wing yes i remember said the girl passing her hand across her eyes i wasn't feeling very well so i asked her to stay here for a while but i can't understand why i didn't wake that's what frightened us cousin tom broke in we were afraid the snoozers might have got into you. It's lucky you had your door locked. They were at my library desk, too, she heard her father saying. Must have gone down the hall from here. But so far as I can see, they didn't get anything. Her Aunt Sophia gasped a sigh. Thank the Lord, she put in reverently. At least we're all safe and sound. Stunned at the daring of Rizzio's men, and bewildered by the persistence with which they had followed their quest while she was sleeping doris managed to formulate a quick plan to hide the meaning of this intrusion from the members of her family she had been examining the disordered contents of the upper drawers of a bureau my jewel case fortunately i keep in my bedroom she said but there was an emerald brooch to be repaired which I put in this drawer yesterday. It's gone. She saw a puzzled look come into the eyes of Wilson, who stood near the window, and a glance passed between them. Oh, well, her father said as he turned toward the door. We're lucky it wasn't worse. I'm phoning to Watford for a constable. This was what Doris had feared, and yet she could not protest so she shut her lips firmly and let them go out of the room leaving her alone with wilson she knew that the woman was devoted to her 
and that she was not in the habit of talking below stairs but her mistress had seen the look of incredulity in the woman's eyes last night and the puzzled expression a moment ago which indicated a suspicion connecting doris's arrival in the hall with the mysterious entrance of the dressing-room doris knew that she must tell her something that would satisfy her curiosity my bath please wilson she said coolly in order to gain time and say nothing you understand of course miss mather said wilson with her broad kentish smile i wouldn't have dreamed of it the cool water refreshed and invigorated the girl and she planned skillfully by the time wilson brought her breakfast tray she had already wrapped the yellow packet of cigarette papers and her cousin tom's tobacco pouch in a pair of silk stockings surrounded by many thicknesses of paper and in a disguised handwriting had addressed it to lady heathcote at her place in scotland she had also written a note to betty advising her of a change in plans and of her intention to come to her upon the following day asking in a postscript twice underlined to keep a certain package addressed to her and carefully described safely under lock and key for her without opening until her arrival she would explain later a gleam of hope had penetrated to her through the gloom that encompassed her thoughts only a gleam at the best but it was enough to give her courage to go on with her efforts to save cyril from immediate danger and this was the belief born of the forcible and secret entry of the house that the men who were in pursuit of the fateful packet were not in any way connected with scotland yard or the war office otherwise if they believed the papers to be in her possession they would have come boldly in the light of day and demanded of her father the right to search the house these were not times when the war office hesitated in matters which concerned the public interest john rizzio for some reason which she could not fathom was acting upon his own initiative with a desire as urgent as cyril's to keep his object secret she pondered those things for a long while and then with a sigh of uncertainty dismissed them from her thoughts which were too full of the immediate necessity to carry out her carefully formulated plans first she called wilson and after assuring herself that she was making no mistake took her partially into confidence telling her of the important paper entrusted by mr hammersley to her care which it was to the interest of other persons to possess and the necessity for getting them safely out of the house her mistress's confidences flattered the maid and she entered very willingly into the affair concealing the emerald brooch which doris produced from her jewel box in a trunk containing old clothes which had long stood neglected in a dusty corner of the attic 
After the visit of the man from Watford, who went over the situation with a puzzled brow and departed still puzzled, she confided to her father the letter and package which were to be mailed from London, the letter in the morning, the package not until night. Don't fail me, Daddy. It's very important, she said as she kissed him. It's a surprise for Betty, but it mustn't get to Scotland until tomorrow night, at the earliest and good-bye and she kissed him again i'm going with it tonight tomorrow mr mather smiled and pinched her cheeks he was quite accustomed to sudden changes of plan on the part of his daughter and would as soon have thought of questioning them as he would the changes in the weather he hadn't liked the idea of her hunting or playing polo but she had done them both and cajoled him into approving of her he had objected fearfully when she went in for aviation but had learned to watch the flights of her little newport with growing confidence and had even erected a shed for her machines in the meadow behind the stables take care of yourself he said lightly you're looking a little peaky lately if you don't get rosier i'll withdraw my ambulance corps she laughed don't forget she flung after him as he got into the car with the departure of the yellow packet a weight had been lifted from doris's mind john rizzio's men might come now if they liked and she would invite them to search the place she was not in the least afraid of herself and she knew that the danger to cyril had passed at least for the present. She hoped that Cyril would come today or telephone her. She wanted time to think of what she should say to him. At moments it even seemed as though she didn't care if she ever saw him again. But as the day passed and she had no word from him, she grew anxious. What if Rizzio had told the war office? that night men from watford kept a watch upon the house but there was no disturbance her watchers had evidently taken the alarm but it was in no very certain or very happy state that doris drove her machine out of the gate of the park in the later afternoon of the next day with her cousin tom beside her and wilson and the luggage in the rear seat the main road to london was empty of vehicles except for a man on a motorcycle just ahead of her bound in the same direction at least she was no longer to be watched there was plenty of time so she drove leisurely reaching euston station with twenty minutes to spare she sent a wire to lady heathcote and then tom saw her safely into her carriage the movement of the train soothed her, and she closed her eyes and slept, Wilson like a watchful, Gorgon guarding against intrusion. There was but one incident which destroyed the peace of the journey. Toward morning, Wilson, who slept with one eye open, wakened her suddenly and asked her quietly to look out of the window. Her train had stopped at a large station, the platform of which was well lighted. 
from the darkness of their compartment she followed the direction of wilson's figure outside pacing the platform and smoking cigarettes were two men what is it asked doris half asleep the big one whispered wilson excitedly it was him that was riding the motorcycle doris remembered passing and repassing the vehicle on the road to london and the face of its driver came back to her she peered out at him eagerly and as the man turned she saw the face and figure of the larger man clearly it was the motorcycle man and in a rush the thought came to her that his figure and bearing were strangely familiar it's true she whispered her fingers on wilson's arm we're followed it's the same man last night too last night yes it's the man called jim who searched mr hammersley in the road no said wilson her eyes brightening you don't say so miss mather of all the brazen shh said doris but there was no more sleep for either of them that night bolt upright side by side they watched the dawn grow into sunrise and the sunrise into broad day they saw no more of the motorcycle man and doris reassured herself that there was nothing to be feared now that the packet was she started in a fright the packet at betty heathcote's perhaps at this very moment lying innocently in betty's post-box or in the careless hands of some stupid scotch gardener or worse yet inviting curiosity on betty's desk or library table her heart sank within her as she realized that her brave plans might yet miscarry it was with a sense of joyous relief that the train pulled at last into innerwick station when she got down she saw betty heathcote's yellow brake the four chestnuts restive in the keen moorland air and looking very youthful and handsome in a brown coat which made the symphony complete the lady herself the wind in her cheeks and in her cheery greeting of course doris you're to be trusted to do something surprising oh here's jack sandys you didn't know of course the sight of these familiar faces gave doris renewed confidence and when from the box seat she glanced around in search of her pursuer he had disappeared sandys clambered up behind them wilson got into the back seat with the grooms the boxes went in between and they were off constance was tired jack at least she said she was i really think that all she wanted was to disappoint you nothing like disappointment it breeds aspiration but she added mischievously i'm sure she's dying to see you awfully sad especially since it's not quite forty-eight hours since you were waving a tearful good-bye in euston station did you get my package whispered doris in her ear at the first opportunity what package oh yes the stockings it was torn and awfully muddy higgins dropped it from the dog-cart on the way over and had to go back for it lucky he found it in the middle of the road what a silly thing to make such a mystery of 
and the cigarette papers you might be sure i'd have something to smoke at kilmerick house i can't understand you really could smoke here if you want to without so much secrecy about it i i didn't know stammered the girl i i've just taken it up and i thought you mightn't approve betty glanced at her narrowly whatever ails you child i disapprove you know i smoke when i feel like it which isn't often the subject fortunately was turned when they passed the road to benakilt i always envied cyril his cliffs i love the sea and cyril hates it so jolly restless she mimicked him makes one quiggedly and there i am away inland five miles to the firth at the very nearest but i suppose she sighed one has to overlook the deficiencies of one's grandfather if he had known i'd have liked the sea cyril of course would have come into my place with this kind of light chatter of which lady heathcote possessed a fund their whip drove them upon their way her own fine spirits oblivious of the silence of her companions but at last she glanced at them suspiciously if i didn't know that you were both hopelessly in love with other persons i think you were a pre of each other doris laughed we are <laughs> that's why we chose opposite ends of the train but sandy's only smiled nothing that's happening makes a chap happy nowadays i bring bad news lady heathcote relaxed the reins so that one of her leaders plunged madly while her face went white not algy no no forgive me hayscythe i've kept watch of the bulletins thank god said lady heathcote and sent her whiplash swirling over the ears of the erring leader not algy byfield byfield not dead no worse what in prison i was taken into custody yesterday afternoon as he was leaving the war office orders from k you can't mean that richard byfield is sandys nodded quickly yes i was one of the leaks a spy a spy betty heathcote whispered in awe-stricken tones a spy dick horrible i can't i won't unfortunately there's not the least doubt about it they found incriminating evidence at his rooms my god said lady heathcote what are we coming to dick byfield why two nights ago he was a guest at my table with you and you doris nodded faintly the landscape swimming in a dark mist before her eyes byfield cyril rizzio all three had been at lady heathcote's dinner something had happened that night only a part of which she knew byfield was arrested and cyril she clutched desperately at the edge of the seat and set her jaw to keep herself from speaking cyril's name were there any others she asked with an effort none so far but there must have been others 
God help them. They won't get any mercy. But what made him do such a thing? Asked Betty. I could have sworn. Money. Lots of it. He wasn't very well off, you know. They were swinging over the ridge towards Kilmorick House in a tragic silence, mocked by the high jubilant notes of the coach horn, which the groom was winding to announce their approach. Doris got down swiftly, summoning her courage to be silent and wait. In the drawing room, when the news was told, Constance Joyliffe added another note of gloom. We're going to be a lively party, said Lady Heathcote bitterly. Thank the Lord, John Rizzio is coming. Rizzio, Doris flashed around, her terror written so plainly that anyone might read. Yes, I had his wire at Innerwick when I was waiting for you, and then catching the girl by the arm. My dear, what is the matter? I... I think I'll go up to my room if you don't mind, Betty. I won't have any luncheon. A cup of tea is all. She moved toward the door, her hand in Lady Heathcote's. And Betty, the package, please. I, I think it may soothe me to smoke. Betty examined her quizzically, but made no comment, though she couldn't understand such a strange proceeding in a girl who was accustomed to do exactly as she pleased. She got the package from her desk in the library and handed Doris the silk stockings, tobacco, and the yellow packet. The wrapping paper which had been soiled had been relegated to the scrap basket. And Betty, pleaded Doris as she quickly took them, promise me that you won't tell John Rizzio. Lady Heathcote, glanced at her quickly and then laughed. I suppose I'm the least curious woman in Scotland, she laughed, but I really would like to know. Don't ask me, Betty, Doris pleaded. I've a reason, a silly one perhaps, but I ask you not to speak of this to anyone. Oh, very well, said Lady Heathcote. I won't, but don't be mysterious. All mysteries nowadays are looked on with suspicion. Even such an innocent little mystery, and she laughed, is a package of cigarette papers. Doris made some light reply and went to her room, where with the doors locked she quickly examined the packet to be sure that it had not been tampered with. Nothing seemed to have been changed, and she gave a sigh of relief to think that thus far her secret had escaped detection. It was very clear to her now that John Rizzio had decided that the secret information was in her possession and that his visit was planned with the object of getting it away from her. This should never be. By the light of the window, she read and reread the thin script until the lines were etched upon her memory. She would burn the papers if they were in danger. If Cyril was to meet Captain Byfield's fate, it would be upon other evidence than this. Her hands, at least with regard to Cyril, must be clean. A knock upon the door, and she hurriedly thrust the packet under a table cover and answered. It was the maid with her tea, and upon the tray lay a note in an unfamiliar handwriting. 
When the maid had gone, she tore the flap and read, Mr. Hammersley begs that Miss Mather will not be unduly alarmed upon his account. Business of an urgent nature has detained him, but he assures her that he will join her at the earliest possible moment. He begs that she will be careful. There was no signature, and the handwriting was curious, like none to which she was accustomed. But the message seemed somehow to sound like Cyril. She rang for the maid, questioned her, and found that the note had just come over by messenger from Benakilt. When the maid went down, Doris reread the message thankfully. Cyril was safe, at least for the present, and her relief in the knowledge was the true measure of her relation to him. Whatever he was, he was the man she had promised to marry, the man who a little later would have been hers for better or for worse. And between Cyril and John Rizzio, it had not been difficult to choose. It did not seem difficult now. She took up the packet of papers and paused before the open fire, a smile playing for the first time at the corners of her lips. John Rizzio. He was clever, as she knew. But there was more than one way of playing the game. Perhaps with her, John Rizzio might be at a disadvantage. She hesitated a moment and then pulled up her skirts and slipped the yellow packet into her stocking. End of chapter 5